if you look it up, you can find some pretty darn crazy, I mean, seriously bizarre leaders of various places. <laughs> and we've clearly had some very flawed leaders as president of the US. Yeah, we can definitely categorize a lot of the behavior we saw with the previous president and others as extreme. Welcome to the Shrinks on Third Psychology and Social Justice Podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And today, since this is the last Tuesday of the month, Julie and I are your shrinks after hours. We're chatting more informally than we usually do, tuning you into a conversation between us two shrinks after hours. And today, Julie and I are going to talk about extreme behaviors and leadership. It seems pretty relevant given the behavior, you could say bizarre behavior, we've seen in the highest ranks of leadership in this country. I think bizarre is putting it nicely. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> we can definitely categorize a lot of the behavior we saw with the previous president and others as extreme and also extremely unpleasant. Um, extremely. <laughs> yuck. <laughs> so Let's look into leadership. Yeah, look, there are many ways to lead. There's not just one way to be a successful leader, but there are ways of leading that are more or less effective and more importantly, more or less toxic. Mm -hmm. Traits of a leader are important in how they lead. Part of what makes a leader successful is their followers. Right, most people want a leader that has integrity, although you wouldn't know it from our country. <laughs> right? I know, you think? <laughs> but what about, hmm, I don't know who we're talking about. What about when your leader is arrogant and self-aggrandizing? Mm. It's probably hard not to get arrogant at all when you're a major leader. Mm -hmm. But the traits people like in a leader are things like transparency. And this doesn't mean they have to tell everyone everything. But we like to know a bit about what's going on. And we like leaders who treat people with respect who are good communicators. There are also lots of levels of leadership, like being a camp counselor, head of your work team, supervisor in a work setting, that's all leadership. But what about leaders of cities and entire countries? What kind of person actually wants to be the president of the United States? That's a really good question. I often wonder about that. <laughs> who would want to be president? I mean, it just seems like a really hard job if you're actually going to dedicate yourself to it. I mean, that's why they age so much, you know. They do. They all get really <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess it would be someone who loves power, mm -hmm. but it could and really should be someone who wants to make a difference, wants to help our country thrive, and who cares about all of the people, not just the rich people. But I think so many people who get into leadership positions Maybe they start out that way a little bit, but many of them seem to be just in it for the power and money. It's really kind of ugly. Yeah, it seems like they often don't start out that way, but they end up growing into the power and greed. At least we see a heck of a lot, heck of, a lot of that. Yes, we do. <laughs> While the previous president was in office, again, you may not have noticed, but I'm really glad he's out. <laughs> There's a lot of temptation 
to diagnose him in our psychology community and in the psychiatric community. There was a lot of pressure to do that, but it's really not that simple. Um, we're not permitted as professionals to just go around diagnosing people, are we, Cindy? Well, not exactly, though several friends try to push me in that direction sometimes. If you look it up, you can find some pretty darn crazy, I mean, seriously bizarre leaders of various places. <laughs> and we've clearly had some very flawed leaders as president of the US. Yeah. So I guess it's natural for people to want, to, for want validation for what they see. And as an example, what we saw in the last administration really was a whole lot of crazy. And that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but as psychologists, we're really not supposed to diagnose anyone from afar. Psychiatry actually enforces this with what they call the Goldwater rule. Let's explain what that is. So the Goldwater rule is an ethical rule created by the American Psychiatric Association. It states that on occasion, psychiatrists are asked for an opinion about an individual who is in the light of public attention or who has disclosed information about himself or herself through public media. In such circumstances, a psychiatrist may share with the public his or her expertise about psychiatric issues in general. However, it is unethical for a psychiatrist to offer a professional opinion unless he or she has conducted an examination and has been granted proper authorization for such a statement. Yes, so this, the Goldwater Rule, was developed in 1973 because of reactions back then to a magazine article that surveyed psychiatrists about the mental health of one of the presidential candidates at the time, Barry Goldwater, who did behave pretty- Weirdly, yeah. Weirdly, yeah. Let's just say weirdly, <laughs> it's this clinical term. So in response to the survey, thousands of psychiatrists weighed in with pros and cons, but a lot of cons about mm -hmm. Goldwater's mental health and the fact that so many psychiatrists weighed in very negatively led the Psychiatric Association to come up with this rule. We should also mention that a lot of people also believed and still believe, as we do, that this rule interferes with the First Amendment right of free speech for psychiatrists. Many of them wanted it repealed during the Trump years. Hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> How interesting. Yes. I can see why people might think it interferes with their First Amendment rights to free speech, but I'm actually still on the side of making sure that we don't use diagnosis as a weapon or as punishment or as shaming, even if that means that we're not allowed to openly diagnose from afar a crazy president you know, who seems pretty extreme. Yeah, I think the shaming or punishment is really critical to avoid. We really don't want to add any stigma to mental health issues at right. all. So while we're not prohibited by the Goldwater rule, because we're psychologists, not psychiatrists, uh -huh. I think it's important ethically not to diagnose someone without direct clinical interview or observation. There might be a lot of times we're tempted to offer a diagnosis, but it would really be just conjecture in a way. And there's different ways to present it. So for example, in one of our episodes, we mentioned that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez probably had PTSD from the January 6th events at the Capitol. We're not diagnosing her with PTSD, just surmising that given the facts, 
some post-traumatic stress was likely. So talking about whether a leader has a mental illness versus whether they are fit to lead are also two different things. Having a mental illness does not in and of itself make someone unfit. It's not fair to put it out there like that. Right, that's really important. Having anxiety, for example, doesn't in any way necessarily make somebody unfit as a leader. It might even make them more careful and reflective and thoughtful about what they're doing for people and what they're asking people to do. I would never wanna prevent someone from being a leader because they were diagnosed with PTSD or anxiety or actually most other things, unless there was a really good reason to believe that whatever they're struggling with interferes with their ability to lead or the quality of their leadership in a negative way. Exactly, all kinds of people can be leaders and there are all kinds of ways to lead. You can lead by guiding people to do what they want to do or by coercing or forcing them to do what you want. For some reason, whatever method of leadership someone uses, once they're seen as a leader, people perceive them as either smarter or somehow more stable than the average person. It may take a certain kind of person to be a leader, but it doesn't mean they're better in any way than the rest of us. They're people and all of us have flaws. We just have to hope that our leaders' flaws don't negatively impact their leadership. On one extreme, we have leaders that live in our minds as shiny examples such as Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. But both were human too and had flaws. More critical to this conversation is the opposite extreme, such as the previous occupant of the White House who actually hurt people because of his own excesses, his own needs, prejudices, his fears, his amusement, and simply his own desires. And definitely his greed. And hmm. I just always need to make this point. He probably caused many people to die because of the COVID virus. He did not even try to protect the country from it. He was literally dangerous. Yeah, I think he definitely caused people to die. Yep. But being a leader does not tell us anything about someone's mental stability, but their behavior as a leader might. Mm -hmm. In Trump's case, many believed him to be a national security threat. Right, <laughs> exactly. I don't actually think his mental health or any diagnoses has to even be considered. Who cares with regard to whether he was a national security threat? His actions over the four years that he was in office, a very painful four years. Mm -hmm. Those are the facts of the matter. That's what makes it clear that he was a national security threat. He definitely was a threat. I think he still may be. <laughs> exactly right. So what we're saying is the diagnosis doesn't matter in a way. Mm -hmm. It's more about whether or not someone's capacity for decision-making and leadership makes them fit for office. We can all see if that's so or not. Well, I guess I shouldn't say we can all see because some of us clearly can't see. <laughs> and even though it appeared we had someone who did not seem fit for office, many still disagreed. Also, we can't make a diagnosis for someone who is not our patient, but we can look at diagnostic criteria and see how they fit with behavior that we see. Mm -hmm. We can say that the previous occupant, for example, showed behavior that looked like many of the traits of someone with narcissistic personality disorder, for example, such as an extreme need for attention, sensitivity to criticism, exploitation of others with no seeming shame or guilt, demeaning, teasing, and belittling others, revengeful behavior, etc. Our saying that he is unfit for office goes nowhere. Maybe our pointing out actual behaviors can be helpful. 
Wow. If that's really narcissistic personality disorder, you basically described him, but you're right. It doesn't even, the diagnosis is not what's important. It's the behaviors that are important. I heard so many people just in conversation over the years and not even necessarily people who work in the field of mental health at all say that they believe he's a narcissist or a sociopath or even a psychopath. I can think about those things and obviously I can't make a real determination um, but to me, like I just said, it's all about what the leader does. If he behaves badly, lies to the public, pretends there's no pandemic, for example, gives away state secrets to enemies, well, then I just want him out, no matter what anyone thinks his diagnosis might be. Yeah. So the bottom line, I guess, is that mental illness has to be separate from fitness for leadership. Yeah. The question becomes then, what makes a person unfit for leadership and what do you do about it? Because on this question, I think there have been many mixed messages and missed opportunities to deal with a leader who appears unfit. Right now, I'm finding it hard to move on without some clarity on that, but I do hope we get it with time. Well, we did try to impeach him twice. <laughs> I think that right. counts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, it didn't work because there were people who didn't mind his behaviors. Too many people. Yeah. So in the meanwhile given all this stuff we've been talking about, everything we're thinking about with regard to leadership, when we decide who to vote for at the next election, we have to remember to think about what kind of leader, uh, what kind of leadership they've already demonstrated through their previous leadership positions, for example. If they seem self-serving, uncaring, ungenerous, angry, manipulative, or if they act like a bully, <laughs> it really doesn't matter what words you do, use to describe it just don't vote for that person. Exactly. We could diagnose them all, but that's not what's going to matter. No, it's about who you vote <laughs> in office. And they have to be someone, if you want this country to be healthy, someone with integrity, honesty. At least, yes. And once again, thank you for listening to Julie and I rant on after <laughs> hours. <laughs> You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time. Take care. <laughs>